Hello everyone and welcome to the Unbroken Soul podcast. I'm your host Amanda Joy and my mission is to help dissolve the protected armor created from trauma. We all have trauma. I am a mom, wife, entrepreneur turned trauma survivor, light worker, speaker and woman's soul coach. I live with passion and intensity and have found my life's purpose through my own healing journey. I have sat in the shadows, wept from the depths of my soul, rose from the ashes and danced alongside the phoenix. My greatest wish is that this podcast offers you insights, real life stories and tools to help guide you back into a space of remembering your unbroken soul. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Unbroken Soul podcast. It's my honor to be sharing my first guest with you, my dear soul sister and motivational wizard who challenges me on the daily to bring my best self forward and is always there to encourage and lift me up. May I introduce you to my beautiful and dear friend, Krista Cocott. Krista, <laughs> it, I love you. I know you're not done. I love you. Let me keep going. I want to read your bio. Those are my words. Okay. Now let me share the rest. <laughs> Krista is a life coach for women, helping them let go of people-pleasing habits, codependency, and unhealthy relationships so they can live their best, genuine self. She proudly produced her podcast, The Love of Purple, in 2019, which offers valuable resources of inspiration and guidance to her community weekly. She's admired for her genuine authenticity, walking exactly what she coaches. Krista is a dynamic leader and entrepreneur that has made her mission, mission in life to inspire and motivate one person at a time to live on their own terms. Yay, now you can talk. Hey. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. I love wisdom wizard. I'm like, oh, I'm taking that. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. Motivational wizard. Yeah, that's uh, what I said. Thank you yeah. so much, Amanda. I love, love. I'm just so proud of you and I'm so excited to be on this podcast and be on your show and and um just have your people have more access to you because I've had access to you um on a frontline level for the last couple of years and I I'm so blessed to have you in my life. So thank you. Yeah, it, it's really exciting for me because you are actually the inspiration behind me stepping forward on this new brave path of podcasting. And I love our story of synchronicity and how our worlds collided. And even though our stories of trauma are so unique and divided, they're nothing similar, but we can meet in this space of community and hold each other mm -hmm. and know that we meet each other in that, you know, and it's just like, I just love it. And I want people to understand our story and your story and my story, you know, as much as they're separate, they're so united. Mm. And that's the beauty of trauma, right? Through these horrible scenarios in our lives, we can come back through to a place of just oneness with all. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very blessed to, have you in my life. And, and in saying that, I just want the listeners to understand how our worlds did come together. 
So we've known each other, I guess, almost two years, a year and a half now. And it always feels so much more than that. It always oh feels gosh. so much more than that. Whenever I talk to you, I'm like, well, this has been a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like it's just, you came into my life at a time where I really was seeking and I honestly didn't know what, mm. but there was a transition happening. I was kind of drowning and lost in on the path that I had been taking and needed advancement forward, but didn't know where to find that. And when we came together at a sisterhood connections meeting, it was something entirely out of my realm. Mm. You know, I, I'd been in the yoga space and in the spiritual healing for so long that to go to a sisterhood connection and just sit in a group of women really was not, was not my forte, but yet I knew I needed to be there. Mm. And, and even the beautiful thing I was reflecting this morning on it is I was actually in Montana in a space where you visit regularly with your family mm -hmm. and made the commitment from that space and reached out to the wonderful woman, Frankie, that was hosting the gathering and said, I can't pay you because the cell service is so terrible where I'm at, but please save me a spot. I have to be there. And then in that, you and I were brought together. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a, that was as much as you say it was, um, I mean, the only word I can use is divine. And that was, it was definitely, um, there was a hand bigger than us involved in this whole meeting because I was also in a place of, I needed more deep healing, but I didn't know what to do. And I knew I was done talking because <laughs> I'm a verbal processor and I've been to counseling. I have them on speed dial and I was done. I was, I, I needed something different than talking and journaling it out. I'm still all about writing. But I needed something more. But again, same as you, I couldn't put my finger on what that was until I met you and until I started to get to know you. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot more different modalities of healing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. But I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known to go look for that. Do you know what I'm saying? You dropped into mm -hmm. my life and it was like, oh, there, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we were we were necessary for both paths mm -hmm. because I had been so much in the other space. Mm -hmm. I wasn't verbal processing. Yeah. In fact, I, I locked it and shut it down and was like, I don't talk about it, mm -hmm. you know, and I just held true to there was trauma in my life, but I don't speak about it. And this is where, how I move forward. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So, so let's let the listeners get to know you. Okay. So, where you're at in your life now, I, I know most recently I'm always talking more about trauma, healing, and empowerment, and how this is a cyclical thing, and we continue to move through this. But tell us, where are you at now in your life? What's going on with Krista? I know you're an incredibly passionate mother and wife, mm. career woman. So let's talk a little about that before we dive well, into what brought you here. Yay! We can talk about my family. <laughs> Yeah, I am. I'm currently I live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I have I'm a life coach to women currently right now I work mainly one on one um, to help women stop the cycle and the habit uh, of people pleasing of making sure everyone else is happy and not themselves. So basically, we do a lot of self care, self love, self reflection, we look at our internal voice, I teach them how to hear that. Um, and 
most of the time we have to look back and see where that people pleasing came from because it starts somewhere for all of us. And it becomes a habit. I think um, all my clients and a lot of women I work with, we are, I call myself a recovering people pleaser. We are the most nurturing and caring and beautiful people out there. We just have a <laughs> habit of taking care of everybody else but ourselves, And yeah. we make sure everyone else is happy and we will be like, <laughs> so we can't take care of anyone else unless we're okay, unless we are full. So, um, oh, hi. Yeah, that's Madago. <laughs> so we have, I have two boys. I have a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old boy and uh boys and yes they, they live at home okay i'm letting my dog out hang on yeah for sure for sure that's part of krista's path as well is she fosters um these rescue dogs and so right now she's got this beautiful little boy and i have been, been married fostering. for i know i know the real life right yeah i have been married for coming up to 25 years and my husband's a youth pastor he's been a youth pastor for 16 17 years and through that whole, through the time, I got married at 21 and I didn't, I, if you're listening out here and you're like, yeah, same. I don't know how many of us really know who we are at 21, really right. know who we are. And um, so it was a, it was a big process of just, you know, after I had the kids and after um, different things happened within my life, which I'll go on, but it was, it was a process of figuring out who Krista was again. And then as my boys grew up and as they started to travel and get out of the house and, you know, leave and come back, I had to really stop and, and take, take note of who Krista was and what I wanted in this life. And that's when the real healing began because when I got quiet, when I stopped being busy, when the noise from the outside world shut off and my home got quiet Yeah, is when the emotions came to the surface. And when I was like, Oh crap, I have a lot of stuff I haven't dealt with. <laughs> and I know you're laughing because you're like, yeah, this is exactly it. This is why you do what you do. And I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know what to do with that. Those feelings that were like, you know, stuff's coming up from when I was, you know, six years old. Yeah. Um, so it was, that's where the real healing journey began. I would say about four years ago for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a big step because unlike many people, you didn't even see your trauma as a traumatic experience. You had blinders on it and had suppressed to the degree that you didn't even realize it existed and it was controlling your life. Mm -hmm. So that is a big, a big opening for you. So yeah. take us back. Take yeah, I will. And it's something that, you know, I really, really, um, over the last few years, I said, I will only talk about my story when I can feel it because I lived in a robotic mode for years of detachment and survival right? and telling it to people, but not really understanding that I did have a story. I, I used to be one that would say I would hear someone else's and I'd be like, well, I don't have one. I, I would actually say that out loud. I'm like, I don't have a story. So I, I'm like, no, I, I was fine. And, I'm, and I would leave it at that. And so yeah. I came to believe because of the power of our thoughts and the power of our words that I didn't have one. I actually mm -hmm. didn't. And so um, I, I am honored to be able to be on your show here and, and share my story in the hopes of helping somebody else realize that they do also have a story that we all do no matter what 
what you've Absolutely. gone through yeah. and you can inspire and you can help other people by sharing yours. Um, so when, when I was six, my um, parents were going through a separation. I was born in Ontario and they were going through a bit of a separation. And I lived with my mom at the time, me and my sister lived with my mom. And um, there was one afternoon, you know, all of this came to light a bit as I got older and I started to do my own questioning when I became a mom. Um, and I became older. We only lived with her. We hadn't seen our dad in a while. And it was a afternoon in 1979. And um, I saw my dad, my sister and I were swimming out in the pool um, in this apartment complex that my mom had lived in. And she had left for the afternoon. We left, left us with a babysitter. And we were jumping in and out of the water. And all of a sudden, I heard the gate kind of clank over on the side. And I looked over and I saw my dad coming through the gate. And I, I remember thinking I hadn't seen him in a while, but I was so excited to see him. I loved my dad. Mm. And so my sister and I got out of the pool. We ran over to him and he picked us up, you know, in our wet bathing suits. And we were like, dad, dad, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. And I remember hugging him really tight. And, and he said to the babysitter, he said, I'm just going to take the girls for a while to go get some ice cream. Their mom said it was okay. And, you know, she said, okay, which we all know wouldn't happen these, these, this day and age, but it did right. back then I was six. Mm -hmm. And I remember him running and he always wore cowboy boots. <laughs> and I remember him running to the car and I can, to this day, hear the, the pounding of the cowboy boots on the sidewalk. And he put us in the back of the car, of his car that he had. And he turned around, he said, okay, girls, are you ready for an adventure? And, you know, we said, yeah, like, of course we were dad, like, we love this. And we didn't know any different. We were coming back. And so he drove away and we drove away from the pool and we drove away from the babysitter and he kidnapped us from my mom and I never saw her again for 23 years after that. And in that moment, you know, to actually articulate what I was feeling was probably excitement. Yeah. And my sister and I have talked about this and, and I said, I just remember being like so happy to be with my dad, not knowing what was around the corner. Um, mm -hmm. And then as days went on, he went on the run. We were on the run for months and my mom had hired private investigators and um, she hired police force and all that kind of stuff to try and find us. But he kept one step ahead of them. And so we went down into the States and we did a lot of camping and I can remember laying in the tents at night and asking him where mom is. I remember saying like, dad, where's mom? Where's mom? Cause I knew we were going to go back. I, something in me was like, you said we were going to go back to see her. I heard you tell the babysitter that, mm. but we weren't. And so I remember laying there and I loved camping. I still, to this day, it's nature is my home and my safe spot. And I just remember asking him like over and over, like, where's mom? Where's mom? And he just kept saying, she left us. She left us. She left us. So as a child being told that my mom left us. So that's what I grew up believing was that my mom left us. And, she, you know, in her words, <laughs> she didn't. Um, he had kidnapped us and had made sure that she would never find us. And so this proceeded, you know, on and on. And I remember 
you know, and this is part of the survival. And again, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to talk like this four years ago <laughs> and uh-huh. be able to understand that it was survival mode. And that I was a mother to Kim and I was a caretaker to my dad. I was the oldest. Yeah. I was six. I instantly became an adult. Um, yeah. The other thing that happened in that time was my dad was very specific and very clear on not talking about this. And so I was told what to say. I was told what to do. I was told like he would leave us at a campground, my sister and I, and he would go off and do a little bit of odd jobs. So he would leave me and my sister and then whoever was camping beside us, he would make sure that they would watch us. And so just random strangers would have to take care of us, but we weren't allowed to say anything that was going on. So I remember at an early age, really watching what I said and being praised for the right things to say and being the look of, you know, that look parents give you, like, don't be saying that, that happened often because I was a talker. I, I was energetic. I was a happy girl, um, but I was happy as long as he was happy. And as long as my sister was happy, I was happy. And as soon as they weren't, my whole world would turn upside down and I would think, how can I get this right again? How can I make them happy again? So what do I need to do to make them happy? What do I need to say? How do I need to act? What do I not need to say before the volcano erupts? So that I'm able to look back and just go, okay, so that's where that all started. That's where the people pleasing started. That's where the patterns began to form. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I was 10, uh, we settled down in Colorado and we, we, we were moving around quite a bit from there. And then when I was 10, he met a lady that had two uh, daughters, this one year older than my sister and I, and in Colorado, and they got married quite quick. And she became my mom. And I remember on their wedding day being so, again, wanting to make sure my dad was happy, but really craving that mother figure. I was craving having a mom in my life. I couldn't have, again, put words to that. I just remember hugging her on their wedding day and saying, can I call you mom? Can I call you mom? And I asked her that like three or four times. She said, Mm. of course you can. Of course you can. And, um, And then so that was our new family. There was no talking ever about my real mom. There was no talking about our past life. When they, when they got married, it was, this is our family, period. So when people would meet us, they would often say things like, whoa, you know, um, my, my stepmom's name is Honey. And they would go, Honey, you look so great for having all these girls. And she would just smile because she had been told the same thing, like, this is our family. And we would just all smile. And I always knew, always, always, always knew, like, we were a blended family. And yeah. there were days I wasn't, this wasn't okay, but I could never say that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, you know, I didn't like what was going on. I wanted to see my mom, my sister and I, who had, who was the other one that he had taken would sit and in our beds at night. And we would often say, I wonder where mom is. I wonder where mom is. Mm-hmm. We would talk together and that, cause we were our safe spot together. We were the safety. We had each other. Yeah. Um, my dad was never mean to us. He was very religious, not spiritual. It was rules, 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 and control. And again, this is something I'm able to look back and go, he was scared to death. And that's why he was so controlling. And he brought God into our, you know, life and something I'm extremely grateful for that he gave me something bigger than myself um, to rely on. 
and to hang on to in my world and in my life that I do today. Uh, but the way he went about it was a little, little extreme. Right. So grew up very religious, going to church. I, I always say that my life was like the, you know, I felt <laughs> it was very footloose, the movie footloose. Mm-hmm. Like there was no drinking, mm-hmm. no dancing, no swearing, no drink, linking, listening to music, no boys whatsoever. <laughs> so, um, grew up in that we moved back up to Canmore to, to Canada when I was going into grade seven. And so the whole family moved up there. They ended up having a girl. So there was his, hers and theirs. <laughs> so they right. had another wow. girl. Yeah. So I had stepsisters and I have a half sister and along with my real sister. And so we moved back up to Canada, grade seven and all the way along, I was doing this magical, beautiful dance that I had learned of what to say, what not to say. And I remember writing my aunt a letter once and, um, which was my dad's sister and she lived in Ontario. And I remember writing her a letter and I I think I was like grade six and it was all about um, just my life and, and how things were going and, and um, you know, that I missed my mom and did she, had she heard anything? And anyways, my dad read it before I mailed it and he ripped it up mm. and he wouldn't let me send it to her. So I knew I had overstepped my voice again. I had tried to say it was on my heart mm. again. So I shut down even more. Mm-hmm. And he had said, I found your letter to your aunt. You're not allowed to say this kind of stuff. You're not allowed to ask her anything. You're not allowed to say this. So I'm like, okay. So it was, you know, it wasn't like I got in huge trouble. It was just one comment that was, you know, allowed to do that. Like, okay. And because I was so um, attached to him and um, his, his word mattered to me at that age that I was, I knew not to say that. So it was just one more thing in the, in the department of making sure that he was okay, making sure my sister was okay, making sure the family was okay. When I grew up, I, I remember someone saying to me, oh, you're like Switzerland. And I never understood what that meant, but it just meant I liked to keep the peace within the family right. at all the time. Right. Cause I was, right. it was like a nickname I had. They're like, oh, you're like Switzerland. I'm like, mm. I don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't get what yeah. you're saying. And very much so very, very much so. Um, because in my mind and in my heart, when there was arguing, when there was contention, when there was something that wasn't, when the boat was being rocked, I knew what that meant. It meant someone was disappearing mm-hmm. and that wasn't okay. I didn't want to feel that ever again. I'm like, no, 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 no. But I, it was all subconscious, right? As we do. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, grew up in Canmore, um, graduated and took off to Australia for a year when I was 17 with a girlfriend of mine. That was the only way I was going to be allowed out of the house is if I went to Bible school. So I told my dad we were going to Bible school, which I did. And then we traveled for three months after that. And I had a real sense of what it was like to not be around eggshells, walking on eggshells. When I was out Mm. at 17, I graduated at 17, left by the time I was 17 and a half. Um, and at that time, there was no cell phone. So I would have to call in every single Sunday. And I would lie. Every single Sunday I would phone. <laughs> I would lie just to make him happy. Mm-hmm. Because me, maybe, you know, talking with boys and doing prayer time with boys, with traveling with guys. I was traveling with guys afterwards, but never told them any of that. Because I knew that that would upset him, even though he mm-hmm. was a gazillion miles away. So I had this, I, I 
learned at a young age to also lie to very, very specifically of when I needed to make sure that things were okay. If this is what I needed to say, that's what I was going to say to make sure that he was all right. And I'd also learned, I'd also been modeled that, you know, how to be a professional. I'd heard him telling other people straight out lies. I'd heard it. I'd seen it Mm -hmm. from a very young age. So I'm like, oh, that worked for him. So that's probably going to work for me. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, it begins to be not who you are. You know, you're you're living an untruth. And so I came back from Australia, met my, I was 19, met my now husband. And um, we dated for just over a year, year and a half. And then we got married. And then after that, um, we had kids a year later and started that cycle of becoming a mother. So it was one thing after the next. And even when I got married, I remember calling my dad and I had the most amazing husband. I remember calling my dad and just being like, do you think this is okay that we do this? I was checking in with him mm-hmm. because he was my safe. He was my, that's all I knew. Mm-hmm. And my dad was my world. And he was the one that told me what to say, how to say, what to, you know, like I remember talking to him about my spouse and I'm like, dad, do you think that I should, um, do this? Or do you think that, you know, it's okay that Carmen and I do this? Like, it was just the most, I talk about it now and I'm like, Oh my God, like, but it's all I knew, but it's all I knew. Right. And it was because of the, the intensity of my trauma and what had happened to me. And so, uh, we had the boys and my dad was very involved in our life. He took my boys to Chuck E. Cheese. He would take them for the weekend. And as they grew up, um, you know, he would take them for sleepovers and he was an amazing granddad, an amazing granddad. Um, and about, I want to say my son, my youngest was four and Jake was six. And I started to hit this really deep, deep depression and I couldn't figure out what it was. I couldn't get out of bed after doing all of this. It was my oldest was the age that my trauma had happened to me. So I started to see that he started to mirror myself. And I just remember one day my husband going, you need to go see a counselor. Like this is ridiculous. I'm like, I know, like I'm crying 24 seven. I couldn't get out of bed. So I went and saw her and I remember sitting in the chair across from her. Her name was Beth Del Rempel. She was like the best count. I don't know if she still does it or not. She was a hundred years old. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, Beth, if you're listening, you totally weren't, but you were a grandma. <laughs> had ginger tea. And I'll never, I remember the cup, everything. And I remember her just saying, sitting across from, and she goes, um, what's wrong? And so I just kind of started crying. I don't know. I've got two young children. I think I've got postpartum depression. And she's like, well, you know, did anything, did anything, she might've used the word traumatic. I just never heard that word before because my right. life wasn't traumatic. It was normal. and so she goes did anything traumatic happen to you while you were young I'm like no like everything's great and she goes okay well just start to tell me a little bit so I did and that was the first time I'd actually told a stranger and I was 26 27 and the whole thing so I told her the whole spiel of what my memory were and she sat there with tears running down her face And she just said, oh, my sweet girl, you have got a story and you've got some stuff you've got to deal with. You've got abandonment issues. That's the word she used. You've got abandonment issues. I have no idea what she was talking about. None, Amanda. Like, I just remember going, what? (laughs) And I said it so 
I said it with zero feeling. I just said it how I'd been told. I said it like my dad told me. I said it how I'm, you know, everything. Like my mom left, my dad took us, blah, blah, blah. That's the last thing I remember. It was very, very time frame. He got remarried. This is my family. And that was a real turning point for me in my healing journey. So I started when I was 26 <laughs> and we're just uncovering it here again. Once again, the healing still continuing at 46, right? So yeah. I, I just remember going home and having this lightness of feeling like, okay, I'm not weird. This isn't abnormal. I do have a story. I still didn't own it because I, I felt yeah. like I wasn't allowed to yet, but I just thought, okay, okay, I need to find my mom. So I'm missing a puzzle piece. Something's going on. So I reached out to my sister and I said, you know, do you ever feel like finding mom? She's like, yeah, all the time. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So we went on to, we had our Safari, we had computers. Yes, people, we had computers then. <laughs> and um, it was like 2003 or something. And we went on to people search. I think my sister did something like um, finding moms. <laughs> it was like, I don't even know if Google was around that. Finding, and people search USA came up and it says, please write your story. So Kim just does a, my sister just does this quick story on there and she writes about, you know, what happened with us. Well, Dateline NBC contacted us via phone and phoned my sister and just said, you know, we want to do your story on Dateline, Dateline NBC. And this is something that we do. We will find your mom for free, but you have to do it on TV. You have to have cameras there meeting her, all this kind of stuff. So wow. she phones me and she says, do you want to do it on Dateline? They'll, they'll pay for everything. <laughs> you know, cause we knew that hiring someone to find our mom was going to be expensive and, but we wanted to do it. And I said, I don't know, like, let's think about that, you know, and I don't know. And, and someone, you know, I always make the joke about, cause that's kind of how I deal with things too, is being funny and humor. But I had said, well, if Stone Phillips is doing it, I'll do it because I loved Stone Phillips. If anybody out here is listening from my era, you'll know who that was. He had the most amazing jaw. Anyways. <laughs> and so we kind of laughed about that. And then we both came to the realize we're like, no, we do not want to do this on TV. Like at all. We want to do this our way. We don't want to have someone dictate this for us. Cause we don't know what we're going to walk into. We have no idea what this is going to be like when we find her. Mm -hmm. So we put that, we said no thanks to them. And we ended up um, having somebody step up and offer to pay for us to find our mom. And it was actually my sister's in-laws and cause she was now married as well. And they said, we'll pay for you to hire a private investigator. So we found a private investigator through yellow pages, literally on Thursday night, we went to her, told her everything we knew um, that we had kind of heard through growing up about our mom, her last name, all that kind of stuff. And then on Friday night, she called us and said, we found her. She's down in Houston. Wow. And do you want her phone number? We said, yes. So we have, ended up calling her and she flew up that Sunday to Canada from Houston and we met her on that Sunday. And I remember her coming to my sister's place and she opened up the door and I just remember this overwhelming <sighs> feeling of I belonged to somebody. And I didn't come from the stork. <laughs> I didn't look like my dad. My sister looked so much like my dad and I didn't. And I didn't look like my stepmom. I didn't look like my sisters. 
But when she opened up the door, I just remember staring at her and thinking, okay, that's my mom. There she is. And so it was the beginning of getting to know one another. And, uh, you know, I'd like to say today it is um, a mother-daughter relationship, but it's not. And a lot of forgiveness happens over and over and over. We questioned for about, we sat on my sister's couch for about three hours and just questioned, did you leave us? All these questions that, you know, we've been told and all these questions that any child would want to know, you know, once they meet their mom. And so a lot of clarification was had and we spent the next couple of years just really getting to know one another and really getting just a window into her life of what life had been like when we were taken. And today I can say I have a lot of grace and compassion and so much forgiveness and so much, as much understanding as I can as a mom that still has her kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But knowing that that was, that was hell. I can only imagine what that was like for her. Mm -hmm. And I also have a lot of compassion for my dad, knowing that, they were going through their own adult stuff and he in that moment was scared to death. He'd never see us again. And so he did his, what he thought he needed to do. And that was take us. Um, I would not have been able to talk about this the way I do today because I just, I wanted to drive the bus over everyone. Forgiveness was not in my vocabulary. It was mad. I was angry. I was upset. I missed out. I was resentful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was 2003 um, 2005, my family, my husband and my two boys, we were out camping in the mountains here near us. And, um, we got a call. It was father's day and it was my sister calling me at two in the morning on father's day, 2005. And my dad had fallen asleep at the wheel and died in a car accident. His car had flipped and he had, his car went down the embankment and he went into the river and he drowned. And it, it was, uh, thank God for shock that our body has this beautiful protective mechanism because I would have died in that moment. Uh, I went back to sleep actually after that phone call, I laid back down beside Carmen and I went back to sleep and that's how much of a shock my body was in. And I woke up two hours later upright and it was now four. And I looked at him and I go, it's fucking father's day. Mm. And that's all that registered. And he goes, I know, babe. And then the whirlwind of emotions began and the in and out of wave of reality kicked in. And this lasted, I want to say, about five years. (laughs) And I, I knew when my dad died that my life was going to change forever. But the way I thought it was going to change was I wasn't going to be able to live without his voice. I wasn't going to be able to live without him telling me what to do. I wasn't going to be, I didn't know which I didn't know, you know, anything without his voice. So I'm currently writing my memoir right now. And it's one of the things that it's really come to made me see, make me see is that when my voice, when my dad's voice was silenced is when I found mine. And so this process has been a big, uncovering and healing and I tried numbing for the longest time with alcohol and partying and um, getting away and traveling and not being in the feelings I never wanted to feel anything other than anger and bitterness and resentment or happiness 
Mm-hmm. Um, as long as I was numbing it to some degree, I was able to keep coping. But um, as you know, and people that are listening, perhaps that there is a time that our bodies will actually shut down because we can no longer do it physically. Might be able to keep the dance up emotionally, but our bodies tell us something different. So I started to shut down about seven years ago and I got adrenal fatigue and I got eczema and (laughs) all this stuff started to happen. And my gut started to say no to every single food except for bananas. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And what was going on was all of this trauma and this sadness and this pain was coming to the surface. And it was time for me to time for me to take a look at it. And so that's really when my healing journey began. And when I started to really reach out to different people and different counselors and different, different therapists. My, our marriage was on the rocks because I was pulling away so much and he didn't know how to help. He just always was here. My husband was always here, just accepting me back with a pat on the back, a kiss. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And I am not sure other marriages would have survived what, you know, I put us through, but um, I know that, that was, I'm able to see it now and just go, that was the biggest learning and beautiful moment for me. And yet it's mm-hmm. been the hardest. It's not easy. Oh my gosh. It's so not easy when I, you know, when you talk about healing or we talk about healing from our, from our past, it's not easy, but it is the most freeing and authentic thing we can do for ourselves. Most genuine thing to be able to be who we were created to be. We have to acknowledge and become aware of the pain that needs to be healed. Mm-hmm. So today, that's why I'm a life coach for women through all these different, I tried many different jobs, fitness, I drowned myself in fitness, I drowned myself in wine, I, and today it's like, this is my, this is my, this is my passion. This is where I feel the best is when I'm helping women find their voice and who they truly are. Because my whole life, I didn't know who I was. And today I'm like, ah, there she is. Yeah. Yeah, but you had to wade through some complex trauma to get there, right? And so recognizing that the initial trauma was when you were taken from your mom, but then listening to you unpack all of the complexities along the way. So the understanding that your mom abandoned you. So of course, your counselor spoke of abandonment issues. Well, you believed that your mom walked away from Mm -hmm. you. And so then the complexity of then beginning to understand that no, in fact, you were taken from your mother mm-hmm. and the safety and the person that you felt safest with was then, you know, everything flips yeah. and you came into a space of, you spoke about compassion and forgiveness and empathy. And it's about being able through the healing to not fully understand. We don't have to accept or come into this place of like, I get it, dad, that's not for us. Mm-hmm. But what is up to us is to allow that space, like you mentioned, the compassion, the forgiveness, to free yourself from that trauma, yeah. to create space to move forward. And that's the beauty of your journey is just listening to you talk about, you know, you can't just pick up from seeing your mom at six years old and then come into your 20s and go, oh, everything's okay now. Mm-hmm. You've lived two separate lives with, with you know, a lifetime of like you talk about people pleasing, but it also stems from limiting beliefs mm-hmm. based upon the trauma in your life. And your voice was trapped. Yeah. So you didn't even have the time 
for the ability to tap into who was Krista, mm -hmm. you know, and that voice was just turned off. And so now knowing you as well as I do and the, the shares that we have taken, partaken in together, it's a beautiful thing to witness you unearthing your story mm -hmm. and finding that voice. And I, I love the title of your book. And I know it speaks to a hymn and one of your dad's favorite songs, but it just also speaks so widely to what is exactly, maybe you want to share that with everybody. Yeah, it's, and it's really interesting how that came about because I got a tattoo. It's called Then Sings My Soul. And I got a tattoo years ago because it was his favorite song. And it was something he would sit down at the piano and just plunk out. And he would occasionally sing it, but most of the time it would just be the piano music and so, um, so we got this tattoo, my sister and I got it both on our arms. And then as I was starting to write my memoir and as, as, as I started to find my own voice and as I started to actually say my, my truth, I'm like, wait a second, this, this title's taking on a whole new meaning for me. It's me singing my soul. It's now I'm sharing my soul. So it's just got this beautiful double meaning to it, you know, or triple meaning to it of so many different things of, you know, and I thought about changing the title a few times and I'm like, no, nope, I just keep coming back to that. I'm like, no, this is then sings my soul. Cause it is time and it has been time and yeah, I can still honor my dad with it, you know, with that being his favorite hymn and, and a Bible verse and me, you know, mm -hmm. so it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I love that. Um, your journey is it's so incredible to listen to because like you said, it's taken you so long to get to this point to share. And each time those of us that have these stories, you start to share them. The well of emotion will surprise you at different times as your voice starts to openly go into that space. And it's always interesting to just be in that and go, okay, there, you know, today that's where yes. the emotion exists. And it used to really frustrate me. And I know you know this because you've heard me talk about it numerous times, mm -hmm. um, my story. And I used to get, I'd, I'd push it. You know, I'd be like, nope, you've said this before here. You know, you can do it. I've learned through healing and through working <laughs> with you and that it's actually a really beautiful thing that I see where it hits every time I share my story. It's somewhere different. Yeah. And I, you know, like I, I've cried before at that part with my mom opening the door and I've cried at the part where I'm laying in the tent asking where she is. And, I've, and I'm like, ah, oh, I love it. Because for me now, I just go, I just, I want to heal some more around that. Yeah. And that's the part. And it's your story. Oh my gosh. Like you're going to, it's, it's a traumatic thing. And so mm -hmm. to say it, and for years, I didn't even have any emotion around it. None. Mm -hmm. And so when I don't have any emotion when I'm talking about it, I'm like, ah, you're back to that again. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's how yeah. I, that's for me anyways, right? So it's not that I'm sitting here blubbering or that when you listen or telling your story, it's just that it's your story. You're always going to have emotion, no matter the healing journey that you do go. You'll be, I know I'm still going to cry 25 years from now and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that's our humanness. And that's, that's human. the space as a trauma coach for myself, a soul coach, just to get these women into that. Yeah. Because I believe when the tears flow, it's because we feel safe to allow that yeah. barrier down. When, when we trap and hold tight, it's just like a surface level conversation. And we're just speaking from a voice. 
we're not allowing our soul to come forward and share authentically and vulnerably with us. And I think another um, key point about your story, which I'm so adamant about is the physical illnesses Mm. that presented themselves in your lives Mm -hmm. due to your inability to process and honor Mm -hmm. all the shit that you'd been holding on to so tightly. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's key for anyone to understand a lot of the times, you know, we're, we're all quick to go and get a diagnosis, but if we truly stopped and just, you know, spent some time listening, listening, like our body is speaking, but are we listening? And you know what I was really good at doing was something would come up, a pain, an ailment, and I would go, oh, it's the weather. I need to get out of here. (laughs) Or I would say, it's my job. I need to leave. Possibly could have been a little of both. However, if I just stayed and done the work here, because I would book a trip. I would go Mm -hmm. to Mexico and all inclusive with my sister for a week and I'd feel great. Yeah. But by the end, I'm like, wait a second, I'm still here. This thing's following me. Wait a second. It's me. (laughs) Everywhere you go. There there I am. (laughs) And, but it it gave me a bandaid enough by removing myself from the actual environment that I was in, that it would keep me going the same on the same path. And I know that people out here are going to relate to that because we bandaid things just enough to keep Mm -hmm. us going. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good enough. That, that, that fixed it enough to continue on that fixed it enough, whatever that is for you, whether it's shopping, a trip, food, alcohol, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's enough to keep you continuing. Yeah. The problem that I came into, like you touched on, is that the physical ailments of adrenal fatigue took me out and I I couldn't, and adrenal fatigue, I could have gone, well, yeah, it's because I was up early in the morning and all of it played into effect, but it was my body's way of saying, I'm done. Like you can't suppress any more of this and lie to yourself any longer. Yeah. You may be fooling the world, but your body's, you're not being, you're not fooling yourself. No, you're carrying it at a cellular level. Yeah. And this is the thing we all need to understand yeah. is it is in us. Mm-hmm. So it's so important. Most recently I'm reading a book called, I think it's the womb awakening, but it's about, mm. you know, all of that trauma being in the womb and, and how life is from the womb, right? Really from women, but there's also the womb that exists in life itself, the black holes of the world. And, right. But for me, I know in during my ayahuasca ceremony through one of my deepest healings, I said like, I was screaming from the depth of my womb and I, I knew that that's where the pain was emanating from. Right. And then I know last year you had a surgery in your life because of- <sighs> I was gonna touch on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe you wanna- Well, I just remember I had a hysterectomy last year and I had tumors all over my- um, I had fibroid tumors all over my uterus, which is mm-hmm. your womb. <laughs> yeah. And my mom had it. My sister had it. I had it. So I had a hysterectomy, left my ovaries. But I remember being with you at a conference and you at one point, I said, I was healing. I was in the process of my healing journey. Mm-hmm. And I think I was five weeks out and I was laying there with my feet up on the wall and I was in some pain just doing some deep breathing and honoring where I was at. And you kind of just quietly had said, we were sharing a room and you said, I'm not surprised that it was, you know, your womb. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand what you meant by that. 
And I thought, yeah, because everybody gets fibroid tumors on their uterus. Like I kind of just <laughs> shoved it off like that. Yeah. Um, obviously that was a, that was another huge transition point for me in my healing because I allowed myself and I to really go deep during that time of healing, physical healing yeah. to do some deep inner healing as well and inner child healing and yeah. wounded mother healing. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh, this is what she means by this. So yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And it was, you know, for me to understand that womb healing was yeah. just, and I know that some people are listening to this going, what? <laughs> this is uh -huh. what it, it, it's deep. It is deep. Absolutely. But it's where I needed to go. Yeah. Yeah. And you need, I think that is so important that you speak about it, but so many of us, and I work one-on-one -on -one with my clients, mm -hmm. and I know you do this with your clients in, in, in different ways, but similar, the inner child work. We need to revisit that broken soul that is from years past, whatever happened and there's no fault to be found, right? Like we're not there to focus and point blame. We're there to simply honor that little soul and give them what they needed at that time in their lives yep. so they can come forward. And it's not too late. It's yep. not too late. So this is the beauty of the journey of moving through it. I don't care how long ago your trauma existed or happened. It's time now to bring it forward. Well, and I know that you had said like, I, I work more as a life coach. I work moving forward with my clients. And sometimes when I'm working with a client, I can see that they are possibly have where I was. Mm -hmm. I don't have trauma. I'm good. I just mm -hmm. need to keep moving forward. Yeah. That that's where, that's where the two worlds collide sometimes. And depending on where they're at, I will send them to you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. hmm, I know someone that can actually really help and, <laughs> you know, and move you through. And then sometimes it's enough for me to be able to, you know, just go, okay, we need to do a little bit more than talking, you know, yeah. but, and even, even the fact that sometimes I have found with my clients, I've brought them to a realization that they have a story. And yeah. that is beautiful in itself for me because I remember feeling like I didn't have one <laughs> or that something that happened to me in the past was like, oh my gosh, that's playing a huge role into my limiting beliefs. Or I was told we never had money growing up. So now I know why I think I never have, like even just making yes. that awareness is such a beautiful thing. And then sometimes they'll stay on with me, we continue. And other times it's like, they need to do some really, really deep past work. And that's not what I do. So that's more your, you know, your thing and, you know, other, but it's just such a, it's such a beautiful thing when I can have my clients have those awareness moments because that's where it all begins. That's the beginning of everything. Right. Yeah, and you say absolutely. it too. We both are like, it's all about awareness. And then we go, okay, now what do we do with this? <laughs> now what direction? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Well, thank you so much for sharing. So I just want to ask you now, we're kind of winding down at the end here, but um, the three golden nuggets. So if for our listeners right now in the audience, mm. you know, if, if you had three things that you would just offer to them to either get started or to support them or whatever it is, what, what is it that you would share? So from my own perspective, for me, it's writing down your thoughts is huge for me. Um, I think writing down any of your emotions, journaling, um, being able to get it down on paper 
wherever you're sitting right now, if it's like, I don't even know what I think, get that down then. I think writing down because there's this beautiful thing that happens when we think it and then it travels down our hand and we write it out onto paper. There's something really, and I know there is actual evidence about this. So um, it's more than just me saying, write in your journal. It's actually therapeutic and you can see it. And then the second one is when that happens, there's an awareness that begins when you see that writing down there. And, um, and I think the third one, it's all, they all kind of roll together, but it's intentionally creating that time to be still and to be quiet. We get so busy and there is a quote out there and I'm going to butcher it, but we are addicted to being busy and that's a trauma induced something. You might be able to share this better than I will, but I know I lived in this state of busyness and I was addicted to being busy because I didn't want to get quiet and still and feel what was going on inside of me. And when we do that, yep, the voices are loud and yep, it might not be what you want to hear and yep, it's scary as shit, but it is also where the magic begins to happen. And so if you're listening write down in your journal, make the time to get quiet, ask yourself what it is that you want. And I, nine times out of 10, it's going to be to be happy. What does that look like for you then? What does being happy look like? It's most people hire a coach because they're unhappy about something in their life, whatever kind of coach it is. And what, what does that look like for you? Get that out, get that clarity for yourself. And if you don't, then get someone to help you with that. So, and I I like the number one thing for me, I think is just really, really becoming aware, self-awareness and having that stillness and that quiet time as somebody that comes from being addicted to being busy. And I mean, addicted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's an avoidance. Huge. It's an avoidance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're not alone in that. Very common. Thank you. So is there anything, if you were to reference a tool or a book or um, someone that's really inspirational to you that you recommend they follow for the listeners to get them started, where would you point them? Um, Well, for my people, if you're wanting something, um, depending on where you're at, if you are wanting to deal with past trauma, I would recommend Amanda. And I'm not just saying that because I'm on here with you. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's numerous people that I do follow for this because it's a continual journey for me to heal. And right. what I have found is that, you know, all the healing, um, you know, um, spiritual leaders that I follow, you guys all will say different things in your own way. And I resonate with you. Obviously, I resonate with a few. But I think if you're unsure of what it means and what it is to heal from your trauma or to deal with your trauma, I would say start following Amanda and just see what she's even talking about in her stories and see what she's talking about on her Instagram and just understand it a little bit more and then reach out for help. Because until we can get to a point of actually dealing and understanding and acknowledging that we have trauma in our life and what trauma even is. Yes. Because once we understand what it is, we're like, Oh, I have that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh crap. I have that. Right. So it's following you. And I would say for me, um, if you're somebody that's like, I just want to uh, start self-development. I want to start reading. I always, always say this book and I it's one of my favorites called the four agreements and it is a super simplistic read and but it's one of my favorites. It's in my book. It's on my bathroom and I read it often. 
And it's yeah. three different things that help our mindset kind of get straight about not comparing and about speaking our truth. And he's just got a really beautiful way of, of, uh, of saying it in a way that we can all understand. So four agreements is always the one that I recommend for people. I love it. Cause you and I both go to that book as a yep. reference point and I've read it several times in my life. And each time I've pulled something different. From same, it. same. Cause and I'm at a different place in my own journey, right? Totally. I'm like, Oh, and that's I what I meant. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and you're able to absorb because when I first read it the first time, my brain was so numb from the trauma mm -hmm. that I couldn't comprehend or absorb any, any information that I was taking in. And so it was frustrating for me to try to read any self-help books or to really get anything, you know, of abundance from anything. But this book itself was just, it's written so clear, you know, and if you just look yep. at the agreements themselves, but don't even dig into them, but just look at the agreements, you're like, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. Well, thank you so much. Oh, so tell me now, where you. did the listeners find you? Yay. You want yes, to know. The main thing. So I'm really active on Instagram um, at I am Krista K um, is where you can find me. And please, please, if you do follow me on there, send me a DM. Just say, hey, I'd love to know who's following me. Just say, hi, you heard me on this podcast. Um, don't just stalk me. Say hi. I love to know you <laughs> are. I love to just, you don't have to reach out for help. Just say, hi, heard you on Amanda's podcast. Loved it, whatever. Um, and I like to just thank people for, for following me and for, you know, watching what's going on. So that's where I'm the most active. You can find me on Facebook, which I'm in my um, inbox there as well, quite a bit. And that's Krista Cocott Life Coach. So both Beautiful. of those places are, um, I'm in both of them quite a bit. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes and we'll also tag your incredible podcast. Thank you. The Love of Purple. It's great, great wisdom dropping there all the time. Yeah. Your guests are wonderful as well. So Yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Amanda. I love, yeah, yeah this is, I'm just so happy to be on here with you. So thank you. I'm so, my heart's full. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing so openly and vulnerably. Oh, I truly, welcome. truly love you so much. Well, thank you for making it a safe place for me to do that. So I love you too. You bet. Bye. Okay, bye. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me on another sacred journey on the Unbroken Soul podcast. If this episode resonated with you, do a sister a favor and take a screenshot, tag me and share on your favorite social media platform. Also, your heartfelt words expressed in an iTunes review aid in boosting my ratings and allow other like-minded souls to find me. If you'd like to reach out to me, your messages are always welcome. DM me on Instagram at amanda.joy.77 and I look forward to visiting you on the next Unbroken Soul podcast. I am... Amanda Joy.